I've entitled my message, The Heart of the Matter. Now you know that we're going through a series in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 to 3. You would think that I would have finished the series by now. And I've been promising you I'm getting into it. I'm getting into it. We will eventually get to the seven churches. So after this long while, I told Rena the other day, I think I've taken too long. I better just cram up the seven churches into two weeks. She said, no, 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 take seven weeks. <laughs> so okay, it's her fault. <laughs> so I tell you what, this is the second part of the series. And we are going to get into the actual seven messages that Jesus gave to the seven churches. But before we do that, I want to take you to just the preliminary of understanding what was Christ trying to do to the churches and what was he trying to say to them so let's start with revelation chapter 1 verses 19 to 20 that's revelation 1 19 to 20 write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Now, I think it's unfortunate that the translators have chosen to translate the word agelos to angels. And this is why I think it's unfortunate. The word agelos in Greek means messenger of God. That's what it literally means, messenger of God. Now, in most cases in the Bible, the messengers of God have been supernatural beings that we call angels. But this message is going to the messenger of God and to the church. And the word church is the, the word ecclesias, which means a gathering. So the messenger and the gathering that's around the messenger. So there's a message, a specific message that the church is carrying for God. And then the gathering of the people that are stewarding that message. So why I say it's not an angel? Because... The message for each church has this requirement that they adjust their attitude and adjust their behavior. And that's why I say this is a human leader that he is writing to. It's somebody that needs to be reminded that some attitudes that they are holding on to is affecting the testimony of Christ in their lives. And some attitude and behavior that needs adjusting from that corporate body because it's affecting the testimony that they're giving out and the message that they're speaking. And so, seven letters to seven messengers of God to seven gatherings of people around that message. It's not just to an individual leaders, but it's also to the church, the gathering of the people, the group that gathers with these messengers that are carrying specific message. Now, I put here in your notes... Let me say this. I believe leaders carry an aspect of God's message that's in their heart, that's burdened in their hearts. And those who gather around that message have a responsibility, both leaders who are carrying the message and the gathering of people, we have a responsibility to steward that message faithfully that God has given us. The message, of course, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I believe every church has a specific message or focus 
or the way they share the gospel message. It's specific. There's, there's, there's an identity, there's a DNA that each gathering of people carry with them that reflects God and reflects the gospel. So we are not trying to be hill songs. We are not trying to be curate. We are not trying to be change point. We are trying to be us. What God has called us to be. We carry a distinct DNA. And a distinct focus that God has called us. I am not trying to be Brian Houston. I am not trying to be Joel Austin. I am just trying to be me. And so as we look at it. Through. By the way. First July, I completed seven years of service to this wonderful congregation. More, 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 more. It's been the easiest ministry time of my entire 33 years of ministry. I've loved every bit of it. And um, so Rena and I took some time out for two days. And um, we just went into prayer, looking through what God has spoken to us through the years. I've journaled for many, many years. And so I actually took time to look back from the 1990s, you know, what God has been speaking to me and what I'm carrying. And Rena went, did the same. We just shared with one another what we are carrying. And after seven years, we want to reflect and say, okay, Lord, what is it that we have forgotten? What is it that we need to remember? What's distinct in our spirits that we are carrying as messengers of God? And one of the things that we have done as a family together, this has repeatedly come through, is we don't do faith alone. We don't do faith alone. That's a distinct message that we carry among us. That we encourage one another. We build one another up. We journey our faith journey together. And no one does it alone. Another distinct message that has come through for us is that church means family. That's strong for us. Church means family. That's why we hang out over there. doesn't matter if there's, there are sandwiches or it's just bickies. That's not why we hang out after service. We hang out after service because that's what families do. Church means family. Our gathering consists of brothers and sisters, consists of mothers and fathers, consists of children, um, sons and daughters. Church means family to us. These are distinct things God has spoken to us that we hold on to. Another thing that's so distinct that Rina and I carry in our spirit, and we've been carrying it for years, is this. That the kingdom, there is no place in the kingdom of God for poverty. There is no place in the kingdom of God for sickness and disease. So we keep saying, no, that's not the ultimate plan of God. And so we keep on praying when we hear of anyone who is sick. We pray because that's all God has called us to do. It's not our responsibility to see healing. It's our responsibility to pray for healing. It's not our responsibility to see that poverty is removed from this community, but it's our responsibility to re respond to what God has put in our hearts and share what we can. That's why we do what we do with Be a Neighbor Project. Fifteen families for now. But you think about it. A small congregation like us, able to go once a month and touch 15 families in their lives, just with a, a box of groceries. You should see their faces that change and they recognize the goodness of God. One box. It's not just a box. 
it's jam-packed with the love of God and the care of us for the community. Church means family. When we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we want to see that happen. Not just in our lives, but all across this community. So seven letters, seven churches, all Christ is trying to say to them, you need to steward this message wisely in your life. And so if you look at the seven letters, uh, seven messages to the seven churches, you'll see it's the same format. There's a context. I know your works. Every single church, it begins with, I know your works. In other words, the Lord knows what we go through. The Lord knows what is currently our struggles. The Lord knows the environment the church is existing in and the struggle and difficulty that we have. I know your works. Then you see it goes on to, but I have this against you. Five out of seven churches, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I have this against you. Two churches wonderfully don't have that, but very strong five of those seven churches Jesus saying there are behaviors there are attitudes that is harming your testimony and you need to adjust it if you don't like gangrene will eat away into your soul and you will cease to be a testimony to the community I have this against you and then Jesus says to the church every church this is what you need to do you need to respond to my word to one church he says remember to another church, he says, be faithful. To another, he says, repent. Yet another, he says, hold fast. Another, he says, strengthen. And so seven churches, seven responses that were required from them as they heard the voice of God. So as I look at this, and in, in the days that I come up to share, I'm going to look at each of these churches. And what I'm looking at is not so much to tell you when Jesus is returning, Although I, if I find out, I'm going to charge you for that. <laughs> but I'm going to look at each church and I see a condition of the heart. It's the condition of the heart that's affecting their ability to respond correctly to God. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So, as we look at these seven churches in the coming weeks, we are not looking at well, um, Carmel Community Church. Because Carmel Community Church is a perfect church. We are a perfect church because we have a perfect pastor. I'm very offended you're laughing. So I thought, so that we don't get offended, and I don't want to offend you, I want to serve you another seven years. So we'll call it another community church. It's that other community church we're talking about. Not this community church, the other community church. The first community church that God is, is talking to is the lack of love community church. And there he says, you have left your first love. The next community church he's talking about is the suffering community church. And there he says to them, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Then he talks to the stumbling block community church. And he says that you've allowed a stumbling block to come between God and his people. Then there's the self-indulging community church. And he says to them, like Jezebel, you've allowed yourself to be seduced with certain teachings. Then there's another 
community church, the living dead community church. You say you're alive, but I don't see any life in you. Then there's the persevering community church. And he says to them, you have kept my command to persevere. And then finally, there's the stale and stagnant community church. And that church, he says, you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. But every single message he gives to each church, he's actually addressing the condition of the heart. And as you look at it, lack of love produces a condition in our hearts. Suffering produces a condition in our hearts. The environment of being a stumbling block in your testimony, it produces a condition in our hearts. That self-indulging, it produces a condition in our hearts. Living as if we are living, but actually we are dead in Christ. <laughs> dead, not in Christ, but dead in, in our testimony of Christ. That produces a condition in our hearts. Persevering and keeping on, keeping on, it does produce a condition in our hearts. And the stale and stagnant life of a Christian, that produces a condition in our hearts as well. So today, before we go into these seven different conditions, I want to talk to you about the importance of having a spiritual checkup. I'm your cardiologist today. My name is Dr. Kulasingam, and I'm checking your heart. So let's look closely and see what causes the conditions of our hearts right, to change. Because I look at it every time we struggle to obey God, it's always to do with the matters of the heart. Can I repeat it? Every time we struggle to obey God, it's actually an issue of the heart. It's our heart problem. If you want to know if you've got a heart problem, I know that each time I'm struggling with God to obey Him, I know it's a condition of my heart that needs adjusting, changing, or a behavior that needs to turn. And so I would like us to look at this and I've said this, the heart of the matter is always the matters of the heart. The heart of the matter in spiritual living is always the matters of the heart. And so this morning, I want to take you to Matthew chapter 13, and we are going to specifically look at verses 10 to 15. Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 to 15. It's to do, it starts with the parable of the sower, but we are not going to look at those parables, but we're going to specifically look at why Jesus spoke in parables. And I'm saying to you, the reason why Jesus spoke in parables is to reveal the heart. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 13, and I'll read from verse 10 to 15 this morning. Matthew 13, 10 to 15. I'll read from the New Living Translation. But most of the scriptures that I've put in your notes are from the King James. His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. 
When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. I want you to take note of the words of Isaiah. He says this. He uses words like, See, hear, understand. And he says, You don't see, you don't hear, you don't understand. It creates dullness in your heart. So the, the disciples, after Jesus, if you look at Matthew 13, it begins with a crowd, a large crowd gathered to hear his teaching. So there was a large crowd that gathered for his teaching. And he taught them in parables. After he finished his teaching, the crowd went back. But the Bible tells us that a few remained with the disciples. Matthew says the disciples stayed. But if you look at Mark, Mark and Luke tells us that a, a small group remained with the disciples. And in fact, Luke tells us it was the group of women who were supporting Jesus. They stayed back along with the disciples and asked Jesus, what are you talking about? What do you mean by the parables? I can imagine this going on. Jesus speaking to the crowds, very impressive, large crowds, massive mega church. Then the crowds go home. The small group stays back and says, you know, Lord, you're pretty good. Your sermons are really good. People love what you're preaching. Oh, I love the way you ended with this. He who has years, let him hear. That is really good. That works. Every time you finish your sermon, you should say that. That really works. But the problem is, you're speaking above most of people's heads. They don't understand what you're saying. Can you use common language? Can you help them? Be seeker-friendly a bit. Speak like those speakers who come out in Shine TV. Jesus' response to them was this. To you is given the ability to understand. To them, it's not given. I want to show you that there are two types of Christians that are walking on planet Earth today. The you group and the them group. The small group that comes and stays back and pursues to try and understand what God is saying to them. And the, and the group that is just going with the flow and here's, here's what I'm saying the group that Jesus is talking to that small group they are the ones who stayed back and were pursuing to try and understand what God was saying to them it is the pursuing heart that he's talking about I put, put this down divine knowledge is a privilege reserved for those who hunger for it divine knowledge is a privilege that is reserved for those who hunger for it. Jeremiah says it this way in Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. In other words, you've got to call to God. You've got to go to him, pursue him and say, help me understand these great and mighty things that you are talking about, Lord. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn babies, you must crave. I love the word crave. You must crave pure spiritual milk. You've had babies before? 
think back of the time, I, I'm, I still remember, I remember my firstborn, my first, um, first experience of living with a baby. And he would scream. He had lungs that was amazing. He could scream. And we lived in a double-story house sharing with another couple. And he would scream when he needed attention. And he would scream his lungs out. I would go downstairs, put my, head on my, put my hands on my head, and say, oh God, help me. Help me. I didn't know it's normal for a baby to scream until you feed them. You can't reason with a baby. You can't say, hang on, Joel. It's not lunchtime. Mom and dad aren't eating. You will eat when we say so. You can try reasoning, but you will get a migraine. Craving. Babies crave for milk. And Peter is saying, you know, can you do that? Can you scream your lungs out to God and say, I long for you. I hunger for you. I want more of you. I want more of your word. Teach me. Help me to understand you. Craving for spiritual milk. Craving for the things of God. He says that you will grow into full experience of salvation. Don't be satisfied with half experiences. Don't be, don't be satisfied with a little of God. Even though you are where you are in your age and experience with God, crave for more. Peter says this, cry out for his nourishment. John 7, 37 to 38. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scripture declares, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. You know what the importance of craving, hungering, and thirsting for more of God? The more you hunger, the more you receive. The more you receive, the more of God overflows out of you. It has been given to you to know. Who is the new you he's talking about? He's talking about those with a pursuing heart for more of God. Divine knowledge is a privilege reserved for those who hunger for God. Then there's the other group Jesus was addressing. To them. That's the crowd that came, enjoyed the service. They were walking away after the service. And they said, man, that was a good service. Did you see the crowd? What an atmosphere. Wow. And Jesus, as always, fantastic sermon. You know, did you like the way he ended the sermon? Let who has ears, let them hear. Man, that was impactful, power packed. I could even, my, man, I could feel my hair standing. What a great service it was. And then the other fellow says, did you understand what Jesus was saying? Nah, not really. You're going to come next week? Eh, we'll see. We'll see. See what happens. The crowd left without understanding. Good word. Loved the atmosphere. No clue what he said. And Jesus says this. Hearing you hear, but don't understand. Seeing you see, but don't perceive. And you know what happens when you keep doing that? Isaiah says, your hearts grow dull. So what's the importance of watching what you hear and see. 
Let's unpack this a little bit more. I put this down. Seeing and hearing affects the condition of your heart. What you see and what you hear will affect the condition of your heart. I'm talking about the eye gate and the ear gate. What you see, what you hear will affect the condition of your heart. See. What are you seeing? Every day, you wake up in the morning, what are you looking for? Are you looking for divine appointments? Are you looking for divine encounters? Are you craving for the good things that God does around you? What are you looking for on a daily basis? Are you seeking to experience His presence? What are you hearing? What do you seek to hear every day? Are you hearing His voice? How do you hear His voice? Paul says in Romans, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How do you hear? It is the Word of God that gives you the ability to hear His voice. So, what are you hearing? Do you hear His voice? You say, I find it difficult to hear His voice. Then read more. Read the Bible more because that will give you clarity. I always say this. You want a good set of hearing aids? Because all of us need a set of hearing aids to hear God's voice. We weren't born with the ability to hear God's voice. We need to train ourselves to hear God's voice. How do you do that? You need to get a nice good set of hearing aids. And it's all from Genesis chapter 1 right through to Revelation chapter 21 or 22. You hear by exposing yourself to the word of God every day. What are you understanding? When you see the goodness of God, when you hear the voice of God, what do you do? Do you seek to embrace the way God says things? Do you see, seek to embrace the way God thinks, the way He talks, His nature, His wisdom? And then when you hear, you see, and you understand, what do you do about it? Isaiah says, turn, turn, adjust, do something in your life so that you obey what you have just heard from God. Are you seeking to follow His ways? I put it this way. Daily revelation from God is so important to maintain a healthy heart. God reveals Himself through His presence, through His voice, through His wisdom, and through His ways. So I ask again as I bring this sermon to a close. What are you seeing every day? I ask you as I say to myself every day. Look out for God activity. Look out for what God is doing. Look out for the good things that are going on. Because I can guarantee you anything good is God doing it. Because only good things come from God. So look out for the good. Don't focus on what the devil is doing. Don't focus on what evil people are doing. Focus on what God is doing. Then you will see and be aware of his presence in your life. What are you hearing? Are you seeking to hear his voice? Every day read the Bible. Every day read the Bible. I keep saying this. Every day read the Bible. 
Because it will give you the ability to hear his voice. What are you understanding? Are you seeking to embrace his wisdom? Do you truly believe that God's wisdom is the best for you? Finally, if you see, you hear, you understand, what are you seeking to follow? Are you seeking to follow his ways? When God speaks to you, do you still struggle to obey? I do sometimes, but I know if I'm struggling, it's a heart condition that needs adjusting. So four things I'd say to you. Seek to experience God's presence every day. It will create a thankful heart. Seek to hear his voice daily. It will create a teachable heart. Seek to inquire of his ways daily. It will create a discerning heart. Seek to follow his ways. It will create an obedient heart. Let me close with the words of A.W. Tozer. The world of sense, these five senses he's talking about, the world of sense intrudes upon our attention day and night for the whole of our lifetime. It is clamorous, insistent, and self-demonstrating. It does not appeal to our faith. It is here assaulting our five senses, demanding to be accepted as real and final. But sin has so clouded the lenses of our hearts that we cannot see that other reality, the city of God, the shining city around us. The world of sense triumphs. The visible becomes the enemy of the invisible. The temporal, the enemy of the eternal. My challenge to you and me this morning is, what are we hearing? What are we seeing? What are we understanding? How are we responding? Divine revelation is reserved for those who pursue it. Divine revelation remedies the condition of our hearts. Divine revelation brings about healing and restoration. The heart of the matter is always the matters of the heart.